The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. All right. I hope you've had a great morning um, so far. Uh, We have an incredible text to look at together. So as you're getting settled, um, if you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Open with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter. By the way, if you're here, you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, a hardback, black, or blue one. Um, Feel free to grab that one. Follow along with us. Um, And also, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, um, we would love the opportunity to give you that one. So just find one around you, pick one that's in great shape, take it with you, and um, you don't need to let us know, just take, us, take it with you um, this morning. It's been our privilege to give away boxes so far of Bibles, and we hope to give away many, many more. So if you don't have one, take it. It's yours um, with you. But as I said, we have an incredible text this morning, um, and it's so rich for so many reasons. Fair warning, this is going to be kind of a coming back to basics for us this morning. Uh, very much so. Coming back to our core, back to our foundation, we say that we are gospel-centered, and we say that all the time. This morning, <laughs> you're going to feel that. We're coming back to the foundation of the gospel this morning. As I said, we're in our third week of Advent, meaning we've gone from hope to peace, and now this week starts the first of next week, which is looking at joy. So this morning, we are going to be um, talking about joy, looking at joy. And of all of the words I have to say of hope, um, peace, joy, and love, of all the words, uh, joy is probably the most churchy. It's probably the single most churchy word of the bunch. For many of us, we don't use the word joy ever until December. Um, And because of that, I I think it's often one of the most underappreciated words as well. Um, But it's definitely the most churchy word. And for some of us, joy can be so many different things. Maybe for you, uh, joy is a holiday word. It's like Mary. I doubt you say Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, at all until Christmas. Maybe joy for you is that way. It's a holiday word. Maybe for you, you think of joy as that graduated form of happiness, like you have happy, but then you one, one click or two above happy, you get into the joy range, right? Maybe for you, it's like a heightened happy. It's a really happy. Maybe that's, that's uh, it's like super happiness. Or maybe for you, joy and happiness, no, they're not even related. Like happiness, that's situational. Joy, no, it's deeper, it's deep. Um, maybe for you, joy is just on a different level uh, completely, not tied to circumstances, deeper and better than happiness. Listen, whatever joy is for you, um, I think it's important that we start off by just defining our terms. When I say joy, when we say joy, as we come to this incredible text. Um, so I'm not sure what comes to your mind when I say joy, but I want to give us a working definition. And um, again, warning, it's going to be a really gospel-centric time uh, together this, this morning. I don't need to warn you of that, but I am. Um, and uh, by the way, the definition I'm about to show you, 
a few things about it. One, it's not original to me. Uh, it's not original to me. It's not mine. Um, also, I have used this before, and I really wrestled. I was like, I can't use the same definition, right? Can't do this. Like, I gotta. But listen, I'm using it again because I can't find a better definition than this for joy. So instead of uh, finding one and making one up or using one that's less, I'm just going back because this one's so good. This comes from John Piper, who um, clicker doesn't work. Would you mind getting me to joy? Um, There we go. Uh, This comes from John Piper. I love this definition. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. I love this definition for so many reasons. First, um, it's a good feeling. I like that. It doesn't pass by that. It's a good feeling. Feels good, right? In our souls, meaning it's deep. It's under the surface. It's deep. It's produced by the Holy Spirit, meaning God does this. And how does God do this? By, by getting us to look at Christ, to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world, meaning we have joy when we see the gospel. I love this definition. Our joy is when our God opens our eyes to see the gospel. That's my prayer for this morning, that joy would come from us beholding Christ, beholding the gospel, um, that we would better understand this joy, better be able to walk in this joy. From this, from this definition, knowing that that's what we're talking about, um, what I want to do, I want to read our text, and then I'll pray for us, and we will get to work, okay? First Peter, we're going to be in chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 8 and 9, okay? First Peter, chapter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this season, this Advent season, this season where we prepare our hearts to just look to you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that you did not wait until we found a way to get to you, but that you sent your son who came to us. God, this is such a special season, a wonderful text. And I just pray that you would speak through your word this morning. God, would you help us to understand the joy that we have in you? In the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. All right. We, uh, we looked last week at peace, and um, in order to look at peace, we, we looked at a text, Jesus' words in John 16. And uh, what we saw is that true Christian peace is found in the victory of Christ. We have peace because of the victory of Jesus. Our peace is in his victory. And something else that we were able to see last week is um, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, trials. Uh, you will face this, tribulation, you will face this. And, and Jesus says, but take heart, don't be discouraged. And why? We looked at this last week because Jesus says, I won. I overcame. I won. He won. Um, the victory is his. And so last week we saw how this has massive implications for, for us. 
Massive implications. Um, as a Christian, well, one of the things that we, we brought out is as a Christian, what this means is that suffering and trials and persecution on this hand and peace in Christ on this hand are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. They exist together for us, that we can walk in both of them. We can walk in Christ through the ups, the downs, and we can know peace, have peace. In other words, um, the presence of trials does not mean the absence of peace. Praise God for that fact. Praise God for that. And why? Because, again, the victory of Christ. Christ won. We know the final score. So we can have peace. We can walk in peace. Um, Church, this morning, just as peace and trials are not mutually exclusive, we're going to see in the same way joy and trials are not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. In other words, the joy is not the absence of trials and struggles and hardships and, and, and tough times. Um, joy can exist in and through all circumstances. And the reason I say this, um, 1 Peter, the text I read, um, this is what 1 Peter as a whole is all about. 1 Peter as a whole. Um, we're not going to be able to, by the way, unpack this entire book. We'd be here far too long. So uh, instead, let me just get us caught up of what 1 Peter really is. Peter is giving a message to the church in 1 Peter and the church is hurting. The church is struggling. And Christ had come. So get us caught up. Christ came. He accomplished his work. He died. He rose. He ascended into heaven. He had just done everything he said he was going to do. It just happened. And you know what else happened? Persecution. Crazy persecution. Just like Jesus said was going to happen as well crazy amounts of persecution. They were being persecuted for their faith, which was bringing along with it a lot of discouragement and probably a lot of confusion. Um, If you think about it in this time, like Jesus had just done it, everything, like all history hinged on that moment. It was done. It was done. And here we are suffering. It shouldn't be like this. Can you imagine the confusion of that early church as they faced this and tried to understand this Um, It was also a very, very difficult time to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. I'm not going to get into all the details of this, but do you know who was in power at the time that 1 Peter wrote this letter? It was this man, Emperor Nero, if you know anything about him. Um, By the way, it wasn't until I saw his face this big, I realized how horrible his facial hair and back hair are. Like, ladies... If you're God, like, that's a neck beard. And anyway, um, this is Nero. Nero was, an, by all accounts, an awful, deranged man. Or should I say an awful, deranged boy. He came into power when he was 16. He became the most powerful person in the world when he was 16. Not many 16-year-olds would be able to handle that. He couldn't. Um, he was a dark man. Um, he was ruthless. He was self-indulgent. He, he was a murderer. He was a tyrant. He even murdered his own mom. He murdered everyone because he was that scared of losing power. That's who he was. And um, by all accounts, just a terrible man, terrible emperor, until he eventually takes his own life. He was awful. He was an awful dude. And he ruled and reigned in the time that Peter wrote this message 
to the church. And it wasn't, so Nero was ruthless to everyone, but history tells us he was especially ruthless to Christians. He was threatened by them. And he was ruthless. He, he started this, this state-sponsored campaign to exterminate Christians from the planet, to kill them all, to slaughter them. This was Nero. He wanted to remove the Christian movement from history. And this is what the church faced during this time. The stories are horrible. Um, so many became martyrs under Nero. Um, and most historians, by the way, believe that the Apostle Paul and Peter himself uh, were martyred at his hand. Um, he had a mark on the church. He was ruthless. Um, in church, that is what they were facing in this letter as Peter's words um, meet them. And, and I think that that makes what Peter's about to say all the more powerful. Here's what Peter says. We get to verse 6. In this, you rejoice. Okay. Rejoice is basically the verb of joy. It's like, how do you, how is joy an action word? Well, it's rejoice. So in this, you joy. You have joy. You rejoice. He's grounding us in joy. He says, in this, you have joy. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. These trials were real. These trials were serious. These trials were deadly. This is the context here. But listen to what Peter now says, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, all of these trials, all of them are testing the nature of your faith. And when your faith is tested and it is found, that authenticity of our faith that has been tested is more beautiful than anything else in this world. Peter is pointing us to this. And there's something here that is, it is incredible, it's powerful, and, and it reminds me how many times, I don't know if you're anything like me, I have prayed this prayer so many times. Lord, would you grow my faith? Would you strengthen my faith? If you ever pray that, Lord, would you grow my faith? Wrestling with doubt or anxiety or whatever it is, Lord, would you grow my faith? I have absolutely prayed this prayer before, and yet every time I study scripture, I realize something about faith, and that is that faith is revealed in the fire of trials. Is revealed. If you want to know, is my faith genuine? The way that we see that happening in Scripture is as we walk through difficulty. Our faith is, is it's, it's what James has counted all joy. If you know that text in James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kind because you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. This is what he's talking about here. It's that testing. It reveals the genuineness of our faith. And I love this is for so many reasons, but if you zoom out, one thing you realize is that it's often, as you look at church history, it's often in the moments when the church faces persecution, struggles, and trials, 
that it explodes. It spreads like a fan to a flame. It just goes. It's often church planting movements are often, so often birthed out of difficulty. Revivals spring up so often from difficulty. Uh, To put it more crudely, fat and comfortable and uh, self-absorbed churches will seldomly know and walk in the depth of the true, genuine faith and joy of the church that is going through the fire. We know this. We've seen this throughout church history. Um, Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear me, that we should be here saying, Lord, send us fire. Like, bring bring the trouble. Like, that's weird. It's... It's weird. We don't do that. We praise God for whatever season he has us in. Through the feast, through the famine, we praise him. We walk in the joy. That's not what I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is no matter what you face, your faith and joy will stand in any and every circumstance. And just to encourage you, so often it's the hard times that you look back on and say, I don't want to go through that again. God, you are good. Mm. We'll talk more about that. But it should strengthen us. One more thing here, shameless plug. You should read biographies. Okay? You should absolutely read biographies. I don't know how many of you do it. I strongly recommend it. Read the stories of the saints, the men and women who have gone before us and faced situations that we have never faced. Read them. Read them. Why? Why? Because as we read them, we get to see a proven, tested, genuine, authentic faith that stands through the trials. These stories, uh, hear me, these men and women that we read about, they're not superhuman. They're not, you know, they're just like us. They're just like us, and the power that we see demonstrated in their life is the power of Christ, the same power that dwells in us. We see it in action in their lives. It's the power of Christ, the same spirit who dwells in us, the same faith, same power. These stories should give you and I courage as we read them. Read some biographies. Just sprinkle them in. Watch a, if you don't read, audiobook it. Okay, it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, But I digress. Let's get back. Um, It's right here now that Peter gets to our text that we read. Okay, here's our text. Though you have not seen him, this is Christ. He's saying, though you have not seen him, meaning the earthly ministry of Christ was done. He had done the work. He died, he rose, he ascended, and now the church, it's not like they can just like give him a high five and eat with him. He has ascended. So though you have not seen him, this means that the church was living in that space after Christ's earthly ministry was completed. By the way, just like you and me, just like us today, though you have not seen him, Peter says you love him. This points to the affection that we have for Jesus, the love we have for our Savior, that though we have not seen him yet face to face, we have an affection for him. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Our hearts long to be with him. This is what Peter says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And then he says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. This is faith. 
This is faith. This is believing faith, saving faith. We love and believe in him who, although he has already accomplished the work, although he is now ascended into heaven, although right now you and I, we don't see him face to face, not yet. Although we don't see him now face to face, we, like the saints who have gone before us, believe in him. This is faith. We not only love him, but we believe in him. This is Peter talking about what we preach and talk about so often of of what scripture says, we are saved by grace through faith. This is Romans 10, 9, that because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised, or that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here, Peter is talking about that faith, that belief, that trust. Um, Make this personal. Here, Peter is talking about you. For although you do not see him, you love him. Although you cannot now see him, you believe in him. Believing that one day we will see him face to face. Believing in him for salvation. Believing in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Believing in him for reconciliation and redemption. Believing that Jesus has won and overcome. Church, this is believing in the gospel. Believing in the gospel. And from this belief, here's where we're going this morning. From that belief, that place, that foundation comes our joy. Listen to what he says. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him. And what? And and rejoice. There's that verbal form of joy again. When joy is a verb, it's rejoice. You rejoice, meaning you have joy, express your joy, have this joy. And how do you and I rejoice? How do we have joy in the middle of anything and everything that we face? For this church here, how do they have joy when they're faced with that weird neck-bearded emperor? How do you have joy? How? How is it possible? Well, there's two things here that Peter says about our joy, and we want to cling to these this morning. The first starts with a joy that is inexpressible. What this means is this joy that we have, we cannot adequately even begin to describe it. Words fall short of the joy that we have in Christ. You can try to talk about it, you can try to express it, and it just is insufficient. Inexpressible joy. Too great, too deep, too good, too even express. Here, what Peter is saying is when you place your faith in Christ, you love him and you believe in him, and there is a joy in that, in Christ, that you are not even going to be able to express, articulate, sing about, tell your friends about. It just doesn't come close. It's too good. It's too good. It's too rich. Um, And I'm not saying, by the way, another clarification here. I'm not saying that we as Christians need to go out with a forced smile on our face all the time saying, we're all good, happy all the time, everything's great. That's, again, weird. Don't do that. And it's actually the complete opposite of what Peter is calling us to here. Peter here is calling us to a genuine faith, authentic faith, authentic joy. It's, it's a genuine, not an artificial fake it till you make it kind of thing, not the put the mask on when you come to church kind of joy, but a genuine, authentic joy is found here. And sometimes I think this is why that joy gets 
is so hard for us to express. It's because it is so deep and it doesn't quite line up with our circumstances. Um, I believe wholeheartedly, and I've heard these stories from, from many of you, that you have seen and experienced this kind of joy in your life or in someone's life that you know. You've seen it. Um, I could not help but remember in my life, several years ago, um, seeing this kind of inexpressible joy in the life of my cousin. Um, my, my cousin was 26 when she got cancer. And um, she battled with it for, for, for several years, I think two, maybe three years of a battle. And in those years, um, she passed away when she was 28, I believe. In those years of her battle, in those years of her, of her struggle, I heard her multiple times, multiple times, in written form and in just speaking form, try to express and articulate the joy that she had in Christ. I heard her multiple times try to put words on the peace and the joy that she felt. But here's the thing. For all of us looking in on the outside of what she was facing, seeing her circumstances on one hand and seeing the joy in her face, um, it was incredible, and no matter how hard she tried to explain it, we were left thinking that just doesn't do it justice. Um, what we saw in her life was just inexpressible. There was this deep satisfaction and joy she had in Christ through the worst of the worst times. Everyone around her witnessed. And as her physical strength began to fail, guess what? Her faith, her joy in Christ did not. It was wild. It was glorious to, to walk, and, and, and it was strong until the very end. It was a faith and a joy that was tested and found genuine through fire. Everyone around her just got to see it. And, and, and I think for all of us, if we are honest, um, as we watched her, all of us wondered like, and just thought, including myself, like, I want that. I, I want that. I want to know Christ the way that she did. There was a joy in Lana that was inexpressible. And yet everyone around her said, I want that. I, I want that. We saw it. And if you think about what I'm trying to do up here this morning, this tells me that it's going to be impossible. I'm up here to talk about the thing that is un, inexpressible to try to describe the indescribable here. Um, that's what the joy that we have. But here's the thing. So many of us, even though I'm going to fail as I try to articulate the inexpressible, so many of us have seen it. So many of us have felt it. So many of you have walked it. And you bear testimony to the fact that this joy is real. It is inexpressible. It is ours in Christ. But that's not it. There is something else with this. And the second thing is, is that our inexpressible joy is also filled with glory. Filled with glory. This is a reference to the eternal glory that is ours in Christ. 
Um, as believers, we know that any and every struggle and trial and persecution that you face, no matter how bad it is, it is temporary. It is temporal. It has an end. It has an end. It will come and it will go. And yet the glory, the eternal glory will not. It is eternal. In other words, it's a lot like what we saw last week as we looked at peace. We, we have peace in our lives because we know we won. We play the game knowing the final score. We live our lives knowing our hope and glory. Listen, last week, as we looked at peace, I had one big thing, one big point, and it was it. This is the one big point of last week's message. Our peace is in the victory of Christ. What we, what we looked at is that, that our peace is grounded in the fact that Jesus won and we know it. That's our peace. Well, this week I have, I want to, in, in keeping with the theme here, I'm going to give you one thing. One point this morning as we look at joy. The one big thing. Inexpressible joy is in the gospel of Christ. And just like last week, um, the one thing could seem very churchy and very Christianese and very much like something a pastor would say on an Advent Sunday. And I'm gonna do my best to show you why this is way bigger than that. Way bigger than that. This is huge. Our inexpressible joy in this life is tied to the glory of the gospel. Peter continues in our text and he says that our inexpressible joy is, is filled with glory and then verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So what Peter does here is points us to the gospel. He points us to the gospel. And I think this is an excellent time for us to beep, push the pause button and ask and answer a question. And that is the simple question of what is the gospel? The gospel is a word that we toss around a lot here at Stone Oak Bible Church. We're gospel-centered. We put it on everything. We put it, I mean, everything. It, you see it all the time. But, but this is, and for good reason, by the way, but this is a good time to make sure that we are all on the same page with what we are talking about. Because I have known many people who have been in the church or been... Um, called themselves Christian for a long, long time who don't know what the gospel is. And I think this is really important for us to just, as a people, if our joy is found in the gospel, what is it? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel literally means, gospel literally means good news. Good news. It is a, it's not a genre of music, although it is a wonderful genre of music. Um, the gospel in, in our context, is, is the good news of Christ, the good news about Christ. So the gospel is the news that our God created everything, created the world, created everything for his glory, by his power, from nothing, and it was good. And yet, 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 we chose to go our own way. We chose to go our own way. We chose sin. We still choose sin. The Bible says we all have sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. Death. So we have this problem. The problem is, is that on this hand, our God is perfect 
and good and holy and righteous all the time, every day, every moment, never less than. That's on this hand. And on the other hand, you and I are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. We are not holy. We are not righteous. We are sinners deserving death. We have this problem. And this church is where the good news comes in. This is where the gospel changes everything. So the gospel is, is that these realities are true. The gospel says, but God, being rich in mercy and compassion, sent his son. The gospel tells us that God so loved the world, he sent his son. The gospel tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is that Jesus came to this earth to live the life that you could not live on your best day, let alone your worst day. And to die the death that you clearly deserve. Jesus took all of your sin, all of it. He took the penalty of your sin, all of it. He is not surprised by what he purchased. He took it all. The gospel is that he took all of your sin on his shoulders. He gave himself the perfect sacrifice for your sin. He died the death that you and I deserve. The gospel is that on the third day, though, he rose. The gospel is that he conquered death. And when I say that, I don't just mean his death. I mean death, the whole thing, all of it. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And in this moment, in his work, Christ, he took all of your sin. And he gave you his righteousness. There is this, the gospel is all about this glorious exchange. This glorious exchange where we now through his work are not our own. We are made righteous. We are saved from our sin and death. This is the gospel. This is the work of Christ for you today. This is what scripture says. If you believe in that in Christ for your salvation, you trust him alone for your salvation, you will be saved. So the gospel is that these problems are now no more through the work of Jesus. You will be saved if you trust him. The gospel is so much bigger than we can even wrap our minds around, and yet we need to try every day. Every day. One more thing I want to bring out here about the gospel that has just wrecked me this week is that the gospel is past, present, and future. Follow me here, because this is awesome. Unbiased opinion. This is awesome. Our salvation in Christ is past, present, future, meaning you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. The gospel is all three of these things. Let's start here. You have been saved. This is the past. This is the past. This church is justification, meaning that Christ accomplished it all on the cross and it is done. What this means is that you cannot do anything to add or take away or to modify. It's done. It's done. It's sealed. It is finished. 
all sin and shame and guilt is gone. It's over in Christ. It is finished. You have been saved. There's a line in one of the hymns that we sing, It Is Well. It's my favorite verse of the whole song. It says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. It says, my sin, not in part, but the whole. And he says, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Church, that is the gospel. You have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you have been saved. And on top of that, church, you are being saved. This is your present tense. This is what we call sanctification. This is us. Don't forget about this part, by the way, because sometimes I think we, we, we feel like Jesus saved us back then, and then he's like, peace out. I'll see you when you get there. <laughs> Figure out. See you later, man. Like, no, that's not what the Bible tells us about our walk in Jesus. It is so much better. You have been saved, yes, but you are being saved. The Bible says that you are being conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible says that the Spirit of God dwells in you, in you, being made new each and every day. The Bible tells you that your life actually matters, that your day-to-day matters. You are being saved. You are being sanctified and changed. You have already been saved from the penalty of sin through the work of Jesus, and that's done. Praise God for that. But don't forget you are being saved today over the power of sin in your life. You are being saved through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is the daily walk we have with Jesus today. The gospel is about your life today. So in other words, you have been saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, done, past. And you are now being saved, sanctified, being made more like Christ daily. That's your present tense. Oh, the gospel's good. And. I love ands. <laughs> and you, church, are being, or you will be saved. Meaning, this is our eternal and future hope in Christ Whereas this is justification over here, sanctification here. Over here, what we're talking about really is glorification. One day, one day you will see Jesus again face to face. One day you will be made perfect as he is perfect. This is what we call glorification. This is the moment we look forward to when we see him. This is the moment when our joy is complete. This is the moment when our hope is realized. This is the moment when our salvation is done. When death and sickness and sin and struggle and cancer are no more. Glorification. This is our hope. This is the gospel. This is salvation. So it's yesterday, today, and forever. It's past, it's present, it's future. It's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Like, this is awesome. It's all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. This is why, church, you will never graduate from the gospel. I think the more, the longer you follow Jesus, the more you crave to go back to the simple gospel. Never graduate from it because it's everything. We'll never move on from it because the the gospel, 
as we think about joy, is, is both the foundation and the content of our joy. Foundation and our content. Um, so joy and peace, they share so many things, so many similarities. One of them, though, that, that this has to cause us to see is, is that they have a source that is outside of themselves. Um, in other words, it would be really foolish of me right now, and it'd be really frustrating for me to stand up here and say, church, have more peace. Work harder, try harder, and have more joy. Go. Have more joy. Be more joyful. Like it, that is so, work harder at being joyful. You know that that doesn't you know that that is barking up the wrong tree. Why is that? It's because true peace and joy don't work like that because they have a source that's outside of themselves. They're byproducts. They're byproducts. Last week, we looked at peace, and, and notice, I did my best not to stand up here and say, church, go have peace. Be better at being peaceful, filled with peace. No, no, last week, we did our best to just look at the victory of Jesus, that he is one because that is where our peace flows. Yes. Its source is Christ and, it's com- and his completed work. And so we're able to have peace when we know and understand the completed work of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's our peace. It has a source outside of itself. And so as we look to the victory of Jesus, as we look to the gospel, our peace grows. Our peace grows. You want more peace? Understand the victory of Jesus. Right? If you want true peace, remind yourself of what Jesus has done because that's true and lasting peace. That's where it comes from. Well, joy is so similar because joy has a source outside of our own effort. Like we, we, do you want to have more true joy in your life? Do you want to know the joy of the Lord? And the answer, if so, is not just try harder, work harder. The answer is to look to the gospel. That is our source. That is our source. To tell yourself the gospel story again and again and again. I'm convinced that the mark of maturity in the life of a believer is how often they tell themselves the gospel. The mark of maturity in a believer is is how much they geek out about that simple gospel message. How much they're drawn to it. That's maturity. It's milk and it's meat. The answer is to look at the gospel, to remind yourself that you have been saved, you're being saved every day, and that you will be saved through the power of Jesus. To remind yourself of that, to look to the gospel. All of the trials, they're temporary. They're going to come, they're going to go, they're going to fade, but the good news of Christ will not. It is past, it is present, it is future. We have peace in this life because ultimately we know who wins. We know the final score so we can have peace. Church, we can have joy because ultimately we know the gospel and we know the good news of salvation in Christ. That's our joy. That is our joy. And, And this is where that inexpressible joy comes from. It's tied, church. It's tied to the gospel, not to our circumstances. 
Our joy is not tied to how hard we're trying and to our works because guess what? The truth of the gospel is not tied to how hard you're trying. It's not tied to your works. It's tied to Jesus. So our joy is in him. This means because our joy is tied to the gospel, we can have strength. We know the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength in each and every thing we face. I wanna end by bringing this closer to home. Because our joy this morning is tied to the gospel. It does not depend on your past. I don't know what your life has looked like up to this moment in time. But your joy is not depending on what you have done. It transcends and silences shame and guilt through the power of the cross. And at the same time, at the same time, your joy is not tied, because it's tied to the gospel, it is therefore now not dependent on what you're presently going through. Praise God for that. Whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be easy or difficult or feast or famine, we have joy. And at the same time, because our joy is tied to the gospel, it is therefore now, it doesn't need to wait and see how it's all going to end. What's going to happen? It's not left to the unknown. No, because our joy is in Christ, our past is forgiven, our present circumstance is in his hands, and our future is sure. In the gospel, your past is Christ, your present is Christ, your future is Christ. It's Christ. This Christmas, we celebrate Christ who came to us. We celebrate the gospel. It's the real reason we sing joy to the world. And so here's the thing, brothers, sisters, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you have faced, no matter what you're facing, and no matter what you will face tomorrow, we can know inexpressible joy because of the truth of the gospel.